Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special episode of SNMA Presents The Lounge. This is student Dr. Erica Dingle, and I have the pleasure to speak with Dr. Mina Hagos. Uh, she is an Eritrean American physician, entrepreneur, and author with interests in medical technology, educational technology, and artificial intelligence. Dr. Hagos obtained her Bachelor of Science in Psychobiology from the University of California, Los Angeles, other known, otherwise known as UCLA, uh, where she graduated with a 3.95 GPA. We got to give it up for you. That is amazing and no easy feat. She then obtained her MD from the University of Southern California, USC, and thereafter trained in anesthesiology at LAC USC Medical Center, a level one trauma center. Dr. Hagos is also the author of the handbook for first generation physicians, the pre-med survival guide. This new book for aspiring physicians is available as both an ebook and an audiobook at drmana.com. So without further ado, I would like to welcome you, Dr. Mana Hagos. Thank you so much for being here with us tonight. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure and an honor to be here. To all the listeners, hello, I'm Dr. Mana Hagos, and I'm so excited to share with you um, some amazing tips and strategies that will be helpful for you on your journey. Yeah, I, I honestly was so excited to have Dr. Mana with us um, after, I, I guess we could say a mutual connection, um, not even in medicine, recommended your book and just uh, a blog and a another podcast that you were featured on. And I'm just, again, so excited to be here with you. So my first question, what exactly did your journey to medicine look like? And a follow-up question, <laughs> why anesthesiology? Great question. So I am a proud first-generation Eritrean-American immigrant. Mm -hmm. And as the eldest of my siblings, I got to enjoy the great uh, experience of being an immigrant, which is high emphasis on education and excellence. So my interest in medicine started off very naturally, thankfully for me, <laughs> because I had I already had my own interest in the natural sciences. I was interested in geology and oceanography when I was in elementary school, and I had the great fortune of attending a very well-resourced school district, and that included career days that were very, very I mean, it was amazing just in terms of the exposure to so many different careers. And one of those time slots that I had signed up for uh, was health oriented. And it was uh, my first opportunity and experiencing, you know, a live, not necessarily live, but a brain of a patient, mm -hmm. a deceased patient um, who had suffered with Alzheimer's. That was my first major exposure to the field of medicine wow. and the human body. And I thought, all right, this is it. This is <laughs> you know. so cool. I don't have to go like swimming deep into the ocean or dig up rocks, you know, in so many different places, though both of those are great fields. Right. Um, this is so much, so much more interesting to me. Like I started noticing, <laughs> some people might think it's odd now, but I would notice people as they would walk around after this experience I had. And I thought, wow, the human body is so amazing when it's working well. And even when it's not working well, it's an opportunity to help people who are struggling or suffering to, you know, improve their, their quality of life or maybe even longevity, depending on the particular circumstance. 
So that was my, my inflection point for pursuing medicine. Mm. And then as I matured and I had first and secondhand experiences of, um, so many of the challenges that African Americans, Africans, um, Caribbean Americans, other diverse people experience within the healthcare system when it comes to equity and access. Mm-hmm. Um, my understanding and appreciation for pursuing a career in medicine as a physician matured, and the role that uh, I could play and contribute to society um, in you know in my communities was ignited. So I continued on doing the pre-med thing essentially of which is doing all the things (laughs) (laughs) for uh, so many of us uh, who are listening. It's, it definitely seems like all the things, right? People say, don't be a box checker. Don't do things. And it's like, but you need to do things to be competitive. (laughs) Um, Exactly. Um, And the competition is fierce. And yes, there are, things to do to make you competitive, not only as a pre-med, but obviously later on medical school and residency, which we'll mm-hmm. get to. So briefly, that was my first interest or exposure in elementary school and then life experiences. And then I continued with, you know, a very significant amount of shadowing, volunteering um, and whatnot in undergrad at UCLA. And, you know, I maintained that interest and uh, developed my passion for medicine as a physician and continued on to pursue mm-hmm. it um, with my medical degree from the USC Keck School of Medicine. Awesome. That is an awesome journey. And beyond that, why anesthesiology specifically? So uh, there are so many rotations that as a medical student, one has access to surgical and non-surgical specialties. Mm -hmm. Anesthesiology is considered a surgical specialty. Not because you do surgery as a surgeon, but you're in the operating room and the lifestyle, um, you know, is different. So as I rotated through, I had pretty open mindset. I came into medical school thinking maybe I'll be a nephrologist because of my interest in chronic Mm -hmm. health, uh, chronic health disparities, and then, uh, but I didn't know a nephrologist or anything. And then I thought, oh, maybe PM&R, um, which would be great if more people could get access to some of these fields that sometimes we can't really rotate right. through. Um, so I had no, I didn't really know anything about anesthesiology. But one day there was a uh, a call to action <laughs> in my medical school, basically, about, you know, reminder, hey, you all need to do research. It looks you know, it's good for your application. There's an opportunity coming up, you know, with these different departments. And then I had found out um, an anesthesiologist at at the medical school in affiliated hospital was giving a presentation on a topic. I uh, did a little background research and I said, OK, anesthesiology seemed kind of interesting. I got a little idea or exposure to it in medical school. And I thought, OK, well, if I can get this research project. This will set me up really well because anesthesia is considered one of those E-road specialties, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you don't know what that is, you'll find <laughs> out soon. So I'll, I'll let you find that out on your own. Um, so I, so we had lecture basically all day, right? And then this extra presentation that you, uh, I think we were encouraged to attend. And uh, so I made my plan the night before, had my professional clothes, my resume, my CV that I had updated. And I decided, okay, I'm going to show up and I'm going to make sure that when I speak to this anesthesiologist, I am going to look as professional as I can in professional attire, even though I just came from all day lectures Mm -hmm. and I'm going to have my CV and I'm going to pitch myself. And that's what I did. I sat through the the lecture having changed immediately prior to and came up to him afterwards, introduced myself, handed my CV and pitched why I would be the best person to take on as a researcher. Essentially, Uh, He was, I think he was either impressed or shocked (laughs) because the, um, 
you know, I, I'm not sure if he expected that. So he said, okay, well, uh, let's see, uh, meet me in my office at this day. He had a, a strong, uh, Eastern European accent. So I do so again, same thing, show up that way, have a conversation, talk about his research. And I join, I do research with him for the next three years and had the opportunity to present our research at the regional anesthesia conference, which is mm-hmm. work. Western and Anesthesia Regional Conference, and also the National con- uh, Conference at wow. ASA. And so, and that was two different locations. So, you know, got to travel and speak to other physicians. That um, was probably one of the youngest people there <laughs> in terms of being a medical student rather than being right. a resident. So, it was an incredible experience, and I learned a lot from him and the research and the work that we did. And by continuing to do that research, not only did it support my application just in general, regardless of whatever specialty you end up going into, um, being able to understand, apply the scientific method appropriately and with patients is always a benefit, regardless of what the research area is in. So having that mindset, I was open to it. I did it and I said, okay, you know what? This is actually a good field. It's a good mix of cerebral and procedural. Mm-hmm. Um, I have very high respect for all my physician colleagues in different specialties. But when I rotate on medicine, I was just like, you know what? <laughs> the six hours of, right. <laughs> of rounding and talking about all these patients is a lot of information. This is great. But uh, something that allows me to use my hands and do procedures um, helps it to, you know, keep my interest and energy up and anesthesia seem like that field. Um, it's not just intubation and line placement or invasive line placement at the start of the case. Um, it's intraoperative monitoring. So your anesthesiologist may be seated or maybe standing at the Pixis, um, uh, you know, the machine that mm-hmm. distributes the medications otherwise. And, uh, but their mind is, is on. They're aware of what the vitals are by just like the frequency, you know, the pitch of the sound, etc. cetera, um, what the surgeon is doing. And they are constantly adapting what they're doing to make sure on it, you know, from a time perspective that things are progressing smoothly. Um, anesthesiologists are the patient safety specialists. Mm-hmm. They're truly advocates for their patients um, in so many different ways. And all of that appealed to me. So I thought, okay, this is a good fit of what I have an interest in. The um, financial payout from this specialty looks like it's great. And that was important to Mm me. And I know for many, uh, many, if not all of the listeners, that's uh, also a very important consideration is uh, the financial aspect of the specialty. And what is the lifestyle like? Is this something that you can do long term or if it isn't or that's not what you want to do because you have other passions like business, et cetera, that um, this is something that you could do on that there's flexibility that you could do locums, part time, whatever, so that you can be your full self um, and pursue, you know, other passions if you have them. That's that's amazing. I mean, you've. I I hope people really are tuning in and taking notes on this one, this episode, because you've just given so much, so many people don't get the experience up front, right? We have what, two years of basic sciences. If you're a U.S. med student and then if you're in the Caribbean, it's a little different. And some of us don't get exposure to patient care and to those rotations for so long. So it it almost primes us for what's to come. So I I definitely appreciate your perspective. And you talked about passions and, you know, making sure that you consider your passions when it comes to, you know, your career in medicine. And before I get into this question, let me first say congratulations on your book. Um, (laughs) And you're welcome. And it's honestly so refreshing and great to see that you've been able to be involved in other passions besides anesthesiology. So my next question is, how do you maintain other interests outside of medicine while Mm. making space for that, that that's 
that that is in medicine. So how how exactly did you come up with this book and practice anesthesiology in a sense? It's mm. an excellent question, Erica. So the first question, essentially, how <laughs> in terms of time management and energy management, which is essentially what everything comes down to. So a one of the thousands of lessons that I learned from residency that I'm very grateful to, in retrospect, be able to fully appreciate um, or hindsight, as I say, is that we make time for things that matter to us. Mm. So if something doesn't matter, then we're likely to ignore it. And this is, you know, outside the context of, you know, if there are additional challenges that somebody is facing, like whether it's health challenges, mental health challenges, you know, environmental, circumstantial things that are always at play because even when people are, pursuing medicine, whether it's in medical school, residency, or practicing later on, that is always um, a challenge, right? You're still a full human being who works as a physician. It's not the totality of one's identity, usually, Mm -hmm. or sometimes. Um, It depends on the person. So uh, that's something I learned, is we make time for things that really matter to us. Mm And once I recognized that, I practiced it on my own time. So sometimes in, especially in residency, um, I'd be post-call, so post 24 plus hour Mm -hmm. call, including, you know, documentation or whichever, if it was icy or otherwise, and um, would come home, take a nap sometimes, not all the time. And I would make time to schedule, you know, going out to dinner with a friend of mine or a cousin of mine. Um, even though that was my post call day and usually, right. (laughs) (laughs) And I say, oh, I'm going to sleep for a couple hours, but I'm going to get up and I want to do these things because, um, because I was, I had started to realize the importance of being connected Mm -hmm. and how important that was for my health and my success as a person and as a physician, um, So same concept when it came to creating the pre-med survival guide, it was really out of necessity Mm. because at the point I had the idea for it when I was, you know, in the midst of the global pandemic that we have all come to shake our fists Mm -hmm. at in frustration for so many different reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, And I did a lot of reflecting as one does often when they're faced with either you know, the concern or fear for their own mortality or those that I, or those that they love. Um, and the various challenges that exist within the healthcare Mm -hmm. system. And I realized that some of the things that I really struggled with as a first generation physician, who's also a first generation immigrant, um, a first generation university graduate and, learning a lot of things through the school of hard knocks <laughs> through firsthand experience. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, even though I had amazing mentors who are still great mentors and friends of mine today, it's, we're all limited by time and energy. And I thought, you know, it'd be so great <laughs> if people who looked like me, who had similar life experiences, um, to me would be able to get consistent, relatable, practical advice that applies to them on their journey into and through medicine. Mm -hmm. So I decided to to do something about it. And so I created the Pre-Med Survival Guide ebook and the Pre-Med Survival Guide workbook and audiobook so that since we all learn differently, there's different formats to obtain information. We all know as medical students and physicians that multimodal Exposure is really helpful for retention of facts and strategies and important information. Mm -hmm. I said, this is true. That (laughs) multimodal and and space repetition. (laughs) Those are the the two things that stick with me the most. So you are spot on. Exactly. Yeah, you you know, you know what's going on. So, um, so I decided, you know what, like we're probably we're losing a lot of Black, African, Caribbean, and other diverse people from medicine, whether it's earlier on the pipeline, because there are 
advisors, whether well-meaning or otherwise, who say, I don't really know if you could do this. Have you considered another field? Mm -hmm. You know, medicine is really hard, obviously. Um, But I don't know if you really cut out for it in, you know, in their own words. Uh, How much, how many people were losing you know, in those early years and then through medical education and onwards and um, retention from various challenges like the isms, mm-hmm. sexism, racism, et cetera, um, you know, and all the very unique challenges that physicians face in a very demanding, um, high commitment lifestyle mm-hmm. and profession that really is medicine. So I took down like so uh, accumulated wisdom from myself and others and got down to the main point because <laughs> nobody has time to read through a bunch of stuff, right? To get information, like just give me the facts, give me right. the juice, give me the meat. Let me get to mm-hmm. the point. And that's what I did. So uh, went from defining your why, you know, the numbers aspect of this of the game in medical school and residency and beyond the unique challenges that um, women, Black Americans, African Americans, Caribbean Americans, et cetera, um, and other diverse individuals who may be Southeast Asian or otherwise uh, may experience on their path um, from a perspective of empowerment and encouragement versus, hey, all this bad stuff, you're likely to encounter it. Good right. luck. <laughs> work hard, study hard, keep your head down. Um, but really instead getting into, you know, the foundational character attributes that are necessary to emotional intelligence development, relationship building and management, because you can study all you want, but if there is within your mind an, an enemy, a negativity that is constantly questioning, doubting, mm-hmm your ability and your capabilities, it's always going to be hard. If there are people outside of you, whether it's people you work with, people you may look up to at one point or whomever, who disappoint you in some way because, you know, they're negative about your abilities or they're not as encouraging as you'd like them to be, or you just don't feel like you're getting that, genuine support where you feel like you have someone who's going to be on your side, it gets really, really hard. You know, just studying hard and keeping your head down isn't enough, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it has to be enough. And humans, we are very adaptable and we can make do. Um, We usually for, you know, for an acute phase, a relatively short period of time, but to do that chronically or in a long stretch of time, it becomes very challenging and people get worn down. So that's a little bit about why the pre-med survival guide was created, what it does for the reader, um, and how, which is getting into strategies, um, and tips to, to navigate stress and and all that stuff. We all need to go buy this book, whether you're a pre-med or in med school, because I just hearing you speak about it and knowing what I know of it thus far, I I feel like at any stage in training, um, this book would be helpful just to shift your perspective. I mean, you mentioned like there's, you can't do certain things and practice certain behaviors for and, and expect that that longevity will carry you head down and work hard works for but so long. So I, I really feel like this book mm-hmm. is geared towards helping us. <clears throat> Excuse me. So thank you mm-hmm. again. And these questions, I'm like, which question should I ask you next? Cause you're touching <laughs> on everything um, that I want to ask. And I, I know we, we have to, we have to have the conversation about, testing because unfortunately part of being successful in medicine has to do with standardized testing, right? Um, We have the MCAT as pre-meds, the USMLE until, you know, you are done with step three and you can finally toss UWorld aside. Um, So 
(laughs) in that what are three to five study strategies that you would recommend when preparing for course exams and larger exams, such as the ones I've mentioned, the MCAT, USMLE, et cetera? Yeah, you're, pardon, yeah, you're so right. That's such a huge hurdle for so Mm -hmm. many, for so many different reasons. Um, Support or lack of support, resources, like maybe financially um, being restricted or feeling challenged to get all the resources possible uh, beyond, you know, the first aid and the pathoma and all that. And by the way, I'm not affiliated with these. These are just some of the, uh, some of the resources that many of us tend Mm -hmm. to use. So these are my steps. Number one, know your why. Mm. Know your why. I speak about this. This is, and I think this is so important. I made this the first chapter actually of the pre-med survival guide ebook and the workbook, because once you know why you are here, why you are putting yourself through all this suffering, (laughs) (laughs) once you know why you are chasing this dream why this is so important to you. You now have the fuel to keep going in with perseverance, with confidence, with courage. Mm. You have to know your why. Many of us, all of us, had to answer that essay prompt to get into medical school. Right. And you know what that, what that is for you, for, for all the listeners. So it is so important to know this and then revisit it mm. at some kind of regular or even irregular basis, because often we don't. <laughs> we find ourselves in hard times studying for that shelf exam, you know, on that surgery rotation, trying to impress people and do the right thing so that we can get good letters and um, if your medical school, you know, does, you know, honors high pass fail, that kind of a system, you want to put yourself in the best position so you can set yourself up later well for residency. I get it. And knowing your why is going to really help you get the fuel you need, not just to keep your head down and keep going, but to keep your head up and keep mm. going. I like that. Number I two. Like that. <laughs> No one is an island. No one is an island. Sure, you have to study so many hours on your own to review biochemistry, pharmacology, microbiology, uh, pathology, uh, hematology, etc. But we all need help. We all need support. Sometimes we lean on our peers who are studying with us and we can commiserate right. <laughs> on how many how many slides that uh, microbiome lecture was yes, <laughs> or whatever the particular you know challenges like MSK or, wh- or whichever subject and so it's important for us to keep in mind that all of us need help and not just at our worst but all the time something in medicine within the culture of uh, medical, education and training um, that many of us encounter or end up unconsciously absorbing is that physicians are not regular people. Mm-hmm. And they're not in many ways. They're, they're very special people. Um, but they're not, you know, they're not normal because they need to be able to study for 10, 12, 14 plus hours at a time. Right. They're not, they're special because They can go 24 hours without sleeping and on and on and onwards. So, but people burn out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) People are people. They are not machines Mm -hmm. and not yet anyway. (laughs) And it's, (laughs) (laughs) and, um, but for, you know, in the meantime, remembering that we are full human, emotional, spiritual beings with, big brains that can do amazing things and big hearts that can, you know, be so incredible for so many thousands of people is 
wonderful. However, no one is an island. We all need help. And that just doesn't mean asking for help studying for a shelf exam or asking an upperclassman, you know, what things you need to do on a rotation to, to honor or high pass. It's also taking care of yourself, right. <laughs> sleep, food, relationships, nutrition, oftentimes, um, medical school residency and just the whole, and even in practice is so all encompassing that <clears throat> sometimes many people find themselves, especially within that first year or two years, finding themselves in a really major transition period where they're, you know, they haven't been in this kind of environment before. They don't know anyone um, in their family who can provide them firsthand experience and advice. So they're just literally discovering the new world, you know, on their own, it might seem, but you're not the only one. And um, even though up to 70% of U.S. medical students come from physician households, so many of them may have actually seen these things, heard these things. You aren't the only person who hasn't. There are so many people and just being able to mm, practice discernment and uh, be honest and vulnerable with people that you, you know, discern that it's right to do so and share some of your concerns, your fears, your challenges so that you can get resources, advice and support. Relationships really matter. Number three, use a tech people hybrid model to improve accountability. A tech hybrid a tech people hybrid model, meaning use use the best of technology and use the best of people to help you get to where you want to mm. be. It's not selfish. It's necessary. If you're not helped, you cannot help others to the best of your abilities. That's just how it works. Sure, you can burn yourself out and and you could probably perform at a very high level. And many of us have had to do that or are even doing that currently. But again, that sustainability portion, that happiness, joy portion ends up becoming impacted. Right. So, you know, use, get creative. You're pretty creative to get to this point wherever you are and uh, keep using it, even though you feel like everything is maybe more left brained in terms of like studying the sciences and being STEM oriented. Creativity and art is very much a part of medicine and the practice of medicine. So consider continuing to develop that creativity, you know. So how do you build your own tribe in a medical school that is states or even a country away from where you your family is? How do you build your tribe in an environment where maybe there aren't as many people who look like you? And in medicine, when it comes to um, African-Americans, Africans and Caribbean-Americans, et cetera, that is absolutely the case in terms of the numbers. So getting creative or de- continuing to develop that creativity is very much necessary and not just for survival, but also hopefully to actually thrive and continue enjoying what you set out to do. So those are my three tips. Know your why. No one is an island. Ask for help. And use a tech people hybrid model. Those are amazing. I'm I'm over here taking notes and... (laughs) I'm telling you, I hope our listeners are doing the same. And I am plugging your book here because we're just so grateful to have you. And I believe the book is going to help so many of us. So at the end, we will we will announce the name of the book again and where everyone can get it, purchase it, download it, etc. Um, but you in those three things that you mentioned, knowing your why knowing that no one is an island and having a tech people hybrid model, I would assume that this helps with managing stress on so many different levels, right? Whether it's the stress Mm -hmm. of pursuing medicine, the stress of making sure, um, you know, we have people in our lives that just don't understand what we're going through as medical students and even as physicians. So in 
I guess, taking into consideration those three things, what are some other strategies that you put into place for reducing stress? And I would, I would say both in med school and then in residency. And do they, did they shift a little bit from med school to residency? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in residency, part of stress management was sleeping. <laughs> That's I hear so much of that. So it's true. <laughs> you heard it first. <laughs> yeah, because um, and this isn't to ridicule or put down anyone who is struggling or feeling like medical school is a huge challenge because it is. And anyone who feels like no one understands what you're feeling like as a medical student because they don't. <laughs> if unless someone has been through what you are experiencing, it's you know they can have empathy or express sympathy for what you experience, right. um, but it's completely different than having firsthand knowledge. So, having said that, yes, uh, stress management techniques do change. And it's sometimes just a matter of schedule and energy. It really comes down to energy. Wow. I believe <laughs> More so in residency. So, for example, in medical school, I tried a couple of different things at different times because it's just, again, being adaptive to your needs and the changing environment is paramount. So when you have more time in your schedule because of the rotation that you're on, the sub I you're on, whatever, the block that you're on, if we're talking about the first two years versus the last two years, uh, then your stress management is going to be different. It could be cooking for yourself, you know, as you're like, oh, wow, I love myself because I'm actually trying to give my body good nutrients um, instead of living off of the cafeteria mm -hmm. food, which many do. Um, uh, exercising, going to the gym, I would do that certain periods. Um uh, playing basketball, taking a walk, hanging out with friends, um, binging on uh, movies or t or older TV shows, which is a little bit harder to binge in medical yes. school <laughs> in terms of time. But when there's space between block uh, periods, you know, um, like when I discovered the Game of Thrones late, very late, um, toward the end of medical school. So Stress management comes in so many different forms. Um, for some people, it's going out. For some people, it's doing nothing and letting their brain vegetate and just recover mm -hmm. <laughs> from the trauma of whatever block that you're on, um, which I, I laugh when I say that, but not to be so facetious, knowing that actually, yes, some, some uh, rotations and blocks and experiences are in fact traumatizing yes. because of the things that you end up seeing um, as a student doctor. And physician, so please don't uh, take uh, my laugh as something to put put that Not down. Not at all. So, um, and then in residency, uh, part of a lot of my stress reduction was resting, <laughs> just being, you know, no no monitors, no alarms, no beeping medical devices, mm -hmm. no pagers. No phone notifications, <laughs> just resting, enjoying reading. I, I'm a voracious reader, so I was always reading um, a combination of books on investing and business mm. and, uh, you know, hanging out with my friends, getting food. I love, I'm a total foodie. I love to eat great food. So uh, that gives me a lot of pleasure and that experience is always fun for me. Assuming the food right. is great, obviously. It's not then. <laughs> the experience is not so great. No, it's terrible. <laughs> it has to be good food. Yeah, it has to be. <laughs> right. It, ha it has to be has to be great food. So um, so it changes. And there's no uh, silver bullet, although we're not talking about, you know, werewolves or anything. <laughs> You'll hear this a lot in medicine. There's no silver bullet to always, not always anyway, treating particular patients, Um or approaching certain situations like medical emergencies, being highly adaptive is just a lifelong necessity. So it changes. And so whatever that looks like for you, that's okay. Hopefully it's kind of healthy for you. It 
helps you to not only relax, um, but to improve your health or recover. Um, uh, you have to end up doing a lot of recovering. I think in medical school, you kind of get used to it, figure out a method, you go to residency and then that shifts a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, so it changes, but it's normal and it's okay. If you have to either shift or reorganize your approach of how you cope, because essentially stress reduction is coping. Right. It's hopefully positive coping strategies to deal with sleep deprivation, emotional dysregulation, hormonal imbalances, mm-hmm. um, especially for women, which that can be very challenging. And, um, you know, relationship dysfunctions that may happen personal or professional. So stress reduction is basically how do you manage being a human in dealing with disappointment um, and other negative emotions that are inevitable or inherent to the particular journeys that we're on. I love that you said, you've brought it up a couple of times that we are human. And I'm not sure when humans decided that we would really, really like to approach life as machines and think that <laughs> that nothing would happen in the process to our bodies um, and, you know, just to our mental status. It, it's important to remember, mm-hmm. like you said, we are spiritual beings and you can't just power, power, power through without, like you mentioned, taking time to do the things that you enjoy to help you get back on track. Um, I know for me, for example, I started doing like floral arranging out of nowhere once. Um, I, hmm. I, I needed something to just relieve my stress. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, roses. These are nice. Calla lilies. These are mm-hmm. nice. And that became my outlet. And it wasn't all the time. But to your point, you got to do something every so often in order to keep yourself on track and keep yourself in homeostasis, as we say, right? Um, as best as we can. So, Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I would, another um, uh, point I'd like to make is that for me, I found out that my stress reduction or my relief from stress was hidden within discipline. Mm. It was hidden within discipline. When I became more disciplined with things as simple and as complex as getting enough sleep, drinking water, mm. <laughs> that was a big one for me, and eating foods that represented, that were green and colorful and not always just carbohydrate nice. breaded Potatoes. products. <laughs> <laughs> that um, my stress reduction followed shortly after. So I found out that for me, and this likely applies for many, that joy and peace is often hidden within discipline. Dr. Manah. And later on. That that is a word. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is not church. Why <laughs> you dropping you dropping sermons over here, Doctor Mano? That is major because so many of us have issues with discipline. You mm-hmm. just said joy and peace are within. Like if you find out, find a way to be disciplined, it unlocks joy and peace. Mm-hmm. That is major. Wow. It is. Wow. You know, for those of us who um, are religious or grew up in religious households, I'm Christian, I'm Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we have learned these lessons or heard these lessons in one way or another. Uh, for me, it was, you know, my mother especially. And, you know, when I would go through especially uh, tough times, um my mother and uh, one of my mentors especially would say, are you reading your Bible? Right. <laughs> and I would think uh, naively, like, 
what I'm experiencing in medical school and residency, it's, it's probably not really in there. <laughs> and I actually found out uh, uh, that there was a lot that was. Mm. And um, it's not, uh, it, wasn't pre- it wasn't presented in a way that's like, okay, so when your attending does this and your <laughs> colleague does that, right? It's not that cut and dry, um, but it's, it's about, there's a lot of stories that provide lessons. Mm-hmm. And um, there were particular periods where prayer um, and reading my Bible were very important and helpful for me to get through, especially tough times. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that could be the case where we can find that respite, that relief, you know, some kind of safe harbor uh, we can find that in spirituality, you know, in religion, in our relationships, personal, and really in discipline. Right. Um, many of us had to be so disciplined to get into medical school and stay disciplined to to maintain attendance in medical school and onwards. However, it takes form, that discipline changes form, you know. Hmm. pre-med it requires you to do these things medical school requires these other things residency requires another level and then attending hood requires another level and i always say that every new level requires a new and higher level of you and it is with discipline that we can achieve that that new level wow that this was so insightful. It really was. We we have to wrap up. I would talk to you for hours if I could. <laughs> I, prom- I promise you, we might have to get you back on the show at some point soon. Um, I would. I would love yeah. to. And I'll, I'll leave with this final gem for everyone who's um, coming up on studying for boards or the MCAT. If you're pre med. These are my three tips. Number one, practice tests. Number two, practice tests. And number three, talk it out with an instructor to understand so that you can improve your performance. Mm -hmm. Practice tests. Practice questions are the difference between not just honoring high passing a rotation. It's passing your USMLEs on the first chance, hopefully. It's in residency doing in-training exams because exams don't stop in residency and then your boards and so on. Practice tests, make friends with people who are two to three levels ahead Mm. of you so that you can get that insight, especially if you are a first generation doctor there, it is so hard to figure things out on the fly. It is so much better when you can get other people to weigh in and provide you guidance instead of just your own personal experience, get at least three other people to give you that insight into what that preceptor wants, what, what, how you can better navigate your research so you can publish or present, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That is the best advice. The people who are most successful, uh, honestly, they've said they've given like a number of questions that they've done, but it's always Mm -hmm. do practice questions. So thank you for reinforcing that, reiterating that. And for Mm -hmm. literally all the insightfulness you've provided tonight on this, this interview with SNMA presents the lounge. Um, Before we go, please, please, please. Give the name of your book again and where it can be found. And then for our listeners that may want to connect with you via social media, where they can find you as well. All right. My name is Dr. Mana Hagos and the Pre-Med Survival Guide ebook, workbook and audiobook can all be found exclusively on drmana.com. That's D-O-C-T-O-R, M as in Mary, A-N as in Nancy, N-A dot com. So drmonda.com. This is where you can find the pre-med survival guide. 
ebook, workbook, and audiobook. As to how you can reach me, you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Mana under pre-med motivation. You will find my profile pic there. And there I post motivational quotes, posts, and strategies for the MCAS because it's focused on pre-med motivation. However, if you are in medical school, you will still find all the motivational quotes and posts very, very relevant. (laughs) I lived on those at certain periods of time. So that is how you can reach me. That's the best way you can reach me. And you can send messages or questions uh, through there. And I would be so excited for you to let me know what you thought um, about today's amazing podcast and, you know, how the pre-med survival guide is helpful for you or how it has been helpful for a friend or contact of yours. Thank you so much, Dr. Mana. Um, also, just so you guys know, Dr. Mana did participate with the SNMA while she was in medical school. And That's it, right. SNMA, it, it just, it does something for the minority medical student. There's so many ways to get involved, so many avenues to take towards leadership, mentorship, learning and encouragement. We're in this together and we mm-hmm. are so grateful to have physicians like you to, who, who just, they, you know, you come on and you share with us and it's, it, it's just from your heart. We appreciate you so much. And honestly, I can't wait to have you back here with us in the lounge. Thank you so much. You are very welcome. Thank you guys for tuning in to this special episode of SNMA Presents The Lounge. We hope we will see you lounging with us in the future. Have a good night, guys. Thank you.